I wonder, I wonder what our lives would be like if this is all we could ever expect from anyone, even those closest to us. I'll love you if I can, but you'd better not count on it. What would our lives be like if that's all we could ever expect of someone? A child is sick or a teenager is going off the deep end and cries out for help to a parent. The parent then says to the child or the teenager, I'll love you if I can, but you better not count on it. A young adult girl comes to her mother, severely depressed, wondering how in the world she can get hold of her life crying out to her mother. Her mother then says, I'll love you if I can, but you'd better not count on it. A young man comes to his father, his vocation's on the rocks, wondering about how he might get some guidance. I'll love you if I can, but you'd better not count on it. An elderly parent calls out for help to someone our age or younger who's lonely and isolated in a nursing home and gets back on the phone or the email, I'll love you if I can, mama or daddy, uh, but you better not count on it. The third world in severe poverty cries out to the northern hemisphere and to the western hemisphere that we're suffering. The northern and the western hemisphere says back, we'll love you if you can but you'd better not count on it. What would our lives be like if that's all we could ever count on from anyone, including those closest to us? Well, you know the answer. It would be horrible is the answer. It would be uh, untrusting. You and I would fall apart without any promises or commitments from anyone. We wouldn't be able to hold life together as we know it. I'll love you if I can, but you'd better not count on it. Jesus chimes in, especially in this week's gospel text from John's gospel, I will love you to the end. You can count on it. And when you receive that love, Jesus would go on to say, when you receive that kind of love, then you're commissioned, you're called upon, you're enabled to love others with that kind of love. That declaration, by the way, comes from the Monday, not Monday Thursday discourse from John's Gospel, where Jesus is encouraging his frail and falling apart disciples. He says to them, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I have said these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy will be complete or full. Now I'm appointing you to go and bear fruit, the fruit of that love. Now, he says again, like good Jewish poetry, love one another as I have loved you. What does that agape love, that love from Jesus towards all of us, what does it provide for us? I want to name some fruit of love today, three of them. First is That kind of love enables someone to be fully accepted and forgiven. You'll remember that these disciples that Jesus is speaking to that night, 
were the ones who then ditched him the next day, ran for their lives, survival of the fittest. Jesus was caught, accused falsely with a trumped-up trial. They all fled. They all denied. They all ran for their lives. What would you and I do with those we trust if they fled us, if they never would hold us up in some way, never kept their promises? We would say things like, what happened to you? Where were you when I needed you most? That's not what Jesus says to them. He says to them in so many ways, um, I will love you no matter what you do. There's not, not anything that you can do this side of heaven that can cause me to love you less. Do you know how sweet that is? In a world where love is always conditional, always has merit attached, always has conditions attached, that you and I would hear those words, that amazing grace of Jesus saying to us, there's not anything that you and I can do that would diminish God's love for us. Wow. On this kind of acceptance and love, Anne Lamott writes, I went around saying for a long time that I'm not one of those Christians who's heavily into acceptance and forgiveness. That I'm one of those kind that, that is, if you do me wrong, watch out. But even though it was ironic and actually true, it started to be too painful to stay this way. They say we're not punished for the sins that buy the sins, and I began to feel punished for this unwillingness to love and forgive and accept. By the time I decided to become one of the ones who was heavily into forgiveness and acceptance, it was like trying to become a marathon runner in middle age. I tried to will myself into forgiving and loving more, especially the various people who had harmed me over the years. But in the end, I could only pretend that I had. I decided I was starting with my sights a little too high. As C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, if we really want to learn how to love and forgive, perhaps we'd better start with something easier than the Gestapo. So I decided, and Lamotte goes on, to start with someone I barely knew, whom I had only hated for a few months. It's a long story, but this is the gist of it. I finally got it. The veil dropped one day when I realized that I was mad as a hatter and that my lack of forgiveness and acceptance was being matched by this person's unfailing love towards me. Like God, she was benevolent toward me before I had even given any indication that I would be loving in return. Or before I had even the chance to hold out my cup to be filled up, that day this woman began to forgive me and accept me and love me. Jesus' love also provides the fruit of peace. Several times over in the resurrection, Jesus comes to those same disciples and says, peace be with you. He uses the Hebraic word shalom, 
or it's derivative and Aramaic. It means more than just what we would say, beatnik 1960s, hey man, peace. It means something much more than just sort of passing. We want to have a peaceful coexistence. No, this is wholeness and justice. It's faithfulness. It's an avenue of engagement. It's not escape. It's not religion just to pacify. It's not just a ritual safe harbor. It's not a shield against the storms that can come our way. It's not just piety of comfort and conformity. No, this peace is an engaging peace that brings reconciliation to, to bear. It causes us to enter into pain, enter into conflict, and be the catalyst by which peace may reign. It's, as the old spiritual says, a balm in Gilead. The Apostle Paul talks about this kind of shalom, about his own life, when he writes to the Corinthians, five times I have received the forty lashes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I've been shipwrecked. Through many a sleepless night, I was hungry, thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. Besides all these things, I'm under daily pressure because of illness and anxiety. And yet, the Apostle Paul was able to find among all those woes a solid assurance of peace. Towards the end of his life, he writes to the Philippians, his favorite church, these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your peace be known to everyone. Don't worry, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your needs be known to God. And the peace of God, the shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a third fruit of love that Jesus mentions in today's gospel text, and it's the provision of joy. I have a friend uh, who's from college days who every time we're together shakes my hand vigorously. He says, now remember, whatever happens, don't miss the joy. <laughs> I took his little mantra once when I was teaching during Easter season at Canuga at a conference. There were a couple hundred people there, and I told them of my friend's mantra, whatever happens, don't miss the joy. Well, it didn't take very long. During the course of the next few days, everyone in the whole conference, when they passed each other, began to say this. So many, many people, as they passed, would say, don't, for, don't miss the joy. Remember, whatever happens, don't forget the joy. Robert Louis Stevenson would have been very pleased that during a very difficult and trying time in his own life, he said to himself one day, don't miss the joy, and if you do, you miss the essence of why you were born. Jesus must have known that in a grim world, in a world that can cast a lot of pain and suffering, that you and I need this provision of love, this provision of joy. Again, he says, Jesus 
to his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I, I have loved you. Abide in this love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Complete joy. Wow, what a gift. It's the result of a close and abiding relationship with God and with God's people. It's not just for a few mystics or just for us clergy types or those of us who live and work around the church. It's for all people everywhere, regardless of background, race, color, or creed. And yet, so many people, especially now coming out of pandemic, a difficult year, so many people miss this provision of joy. There is a grimness that pervades our culture these days. Everywhere we look, there's sort of a white-knuckled survival mode. Rather than living into joy, it's sort of like hanging on, worried about what's next, what's around the corner. In the middle of stale vocations, sad marriages, frenetic pace, loneliness and isolation, illness and sickness, survival of the fittest economy, and a pandemic that has laid many low, Jesus comes along and meets us in those conditions and says with my friend, whatever happens, I don't want you to miss this provision. Don't miss the joy. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Greater love has no one than one would lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, Jesus says. I want you to love one another then as I have loved you. Mary Beth Talley discovered how this love works this Christ-like, agape love. She discovered it most poignantly in a tragedy that happened at her church. In 1999, there was a youth group that was having a praise service at Wedgwood Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. They were just doing something very normal at church, youth getting together and singing and praying and reading Scripture. Then it happened. They began to hear this horrific noise in the narthex. A person had invaded the church, began to shoot people in the narthex, shot the sexton first, and then an usher type next, and then broke into the worship space and randomly just began to shoot people just because the shooter happened to be depressed and got his hands on a weapon. Mary Beth Talley was then 17 years old. Her best friend who was sitting next to her was Heather McDonald. Heather was 18 in 1999. Heather was also Down syndrome when the shooter came in and started to pick people off, literally, with horrific cries and screams. It was Mary Beth Talley who began to put love into action. 
she saw her friend, Heather, sitting straight up. Heather didn't know what to do. She was Down syndrome. She couldn't fully understand uh, the tragedy that was in their midst. Mary Beth Talley then brought her down underneath the chairs, covered over her body, took a bullet herself, was injured. You have to be quiet and stay down, Mary Beth said to Heather. Later on, when some of them were interviewed by the New York Times, one declared, there's so much evil in this world. There's no shortage of being afraid. But in the middle of confusion and even in the midst of a Down syndrome condition, people began to love each other in surprising and powerful ways. Mary Beth Talley saved Heather's life that day. She's now in her late 30s. She's a teacher. I contacted her this week. She lives in Waco, Texas. They have continued to work out this story at the Wedgwood Baptist Church. I talked to the pastor this week. He told me that they've worked through the trauma of 1999. They've continued to learn how to love and forgive and accept. Oh, they haven't turned their blind eye to what happened that day and what can happen to any of us this side of heaven. What they did learn that day and what we have the outstanding opportunity to learn is to love in the way that Jesus loves us. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said to his disciples that Maundy Thursday night, I have loved you. Now, I've got some work for you to do, Jesus would say to all of us. I want you to love each other the way that I'm loving you each and every day. Amen.